Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of BZ Listening. I'm your host, BZ Douglas, and uh, eventually music and non-2020 shows will resume. But right now, the show is all about Bernie and Get Out the Vote for Tuesday, March 17th, our Ohio primary. Um, I had several Super Tuesday uh like bits in this intro initially and it went on way too long and i realized i'm just gonna devote an entire show to super tuesday because this episode the intro would be half like a third of the episode um so today uh my guest is devora phillips she is a victory captain and delegate for bernie and we talk about what led her to becoming a bernie sanders supporter uh, we go through some of our recollections of 2016 and um, how that primary went down and our frustrations with the, the, the current process, as well as things that happened in, in the past that still have not been addressed. Um, she talks a bit about what a delegate does and how you can become one. And most importantly, the benefits of canvassing. And that's not just for the candidate that you support. I hope it's Bernie, but whoever it is, it's, it's good for you and it's good for your neighbors for you to go out and, and do that and participate in your democracy and let this be an entry point into doing these kinds of things more, not just when the, the, the presidency comes around and that's a big part of what is baked into if you're a Bernie supporter, you realize if he wins, the work begins. So uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, if you uh, are inspired or more, want more info, please go to events.berniesanders.com. Join the movement. Take our government back from the wealthy. And let's make some fucking history. All right? Thanks. I'm sitting here with Devorah Phillips. She's a delegate for Bernie, and she you were endorsed for Cuyahoga for Bernie? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so you want to um, – I could read your flyer, but I want to hear, you know, from you, what is your what is your Bernie journey? Just sort of where do you – where do things start? Because you have a lot of interesting experience in 2016 and now that I'd like to go through. Um, but where does, where does your Bernie story start? Um – well, I remember hearing about Bernie for maybe the first time in 2015. Uh, my friends were like, you know, this is somebody who you should check out. And, you know, certainly once he started um, hosting rallies and attracting like tons of thousands of people to them, and certainly, you know, without even coverage by the mainstream media, uh, that really got my attention. And I started watching his speeches and that's when I really fell in love with him because the things he was saying, you know, in uh, a lot of parts of the world, apparently nothing he says is radical. But here it is because there's just uh, so much brainwashing and just a lack of honesty. And for somebody to get up and say the truth is radical. Um And it was also educational, which I think is maybe a big part of the reason he ran. Um, He wanted to provide that kind of political education and didn't start out thinking he had a chance against, you know, Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, 
into the process, uh, he starts getting like an overwhelming response of, you know, majority young people who are ready for something different. And, uh, you know, it it turned into something that nobody was expecting at first. And uh, he had a real shot and was just, you know, building the plane as they were flying kind of is how they described it. So, you know, had, had we known earlier, I still think that Maybe the country wouldn't have been ready. We were we were in a very different place four years ago. Very different because Trump was like a hand grenade, or or you know, worse than that. But that really woke up people who are really complacent. A lot of people just all the way through to November had that expectation that Hillary was winning the thing, and um, you know, politics as usual meant nobody really had to you know personally get involved. You supported who you supported, maybe you donated, but you never had to like go out there and knock on doors and have conversations. And when you have um, a grassroots, a truly grassroots candidate, he wasn't part of either party, you know, before yeah. before he ran, and uh, which they love to point out. Yeah, and it always rings like to me like when you look at what his platform is, and if you're saying you reject that, then to me you're 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 tarring the Democratic Party, not Bernie. Exactly. Yeah, they don't realize like uh, there was just this article that was fantastic. I, the irony, the irony of Bernie Sanders' win is that he's running. Um, on all of the ideas that people thought the Democratic Party stood for. He actually stands for them. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's hard for them to be like, oh, he he's not part of us, you know? Like, you know, he's just illuminating the hypocrisy of the Democratic Party. We're... Were your fr- what were your frustrations? What were your frustrations with the status quo that you think primed you to be open to Bernie? Because I think that is a prerequisite to being receptive to his message is that you have to be really disturbed by something or many things that are just taken for granted as like, well, that's just reality and we just have to suck it up and that's the world we live in and you can't be, you can't be changed or certainly not quickly or forcefully addressed. Well, I supported Obama uh, when he ran in 2008 and uh, in my, in the community I was, raised in that was actually um, a bit of a radical thing to do already. Um, I was raised in a very uh, ultra-Orthodox Hasidic community. And um, so I kept my support for Obama on the down low until just after his election when uh, my family (coughs) knew, but um, just I heard the kinds of things people were saying about him and this one woman, you know, asked me, you know, were you upset when Obama went? I said, upset. I voted for him. And I just thought her face was priceless. <laughs> so anyway, so my, I supported him. Um, I didn't get, you know, personally involved at that were point. You, were you at all vested in the primaries between it was between Obama and Clinton? Or was it once he was the nominee, you're... you're- um, I, w- I was following. I- I've always been interested in politics. I was following it all along. But um, there's a lot of stuff that people say now that happened back then that I don't exactly remember because I wasn't personally involved. Um, I was I started college um, a little bit late, uh, but I was started in the spring of 2008. So, yeah, that was like the discussion was mm-hmm. going on right then. Um 
And yeah, I, I, I just, I wouldn't have thought, you know, to get personally involved or how to, you know, um, that wasn't what was around me. Um, but I really, you know, with the economic crash that happened right then, um, had such hope and expectations that, you know, it just happened at that moment when Obama was coming in. I was like, Obama's going to save us. You know, I just put a lot of hope in him. And, and so did everybody. Mm-hmm. He won the Nobel Prize. Like when he was like, I don't know, five days in office, something like that. It was yeah. a little bit premature. But yeah, that was a bit. I think it was almost like a, a the Nobel Prize was awarded to him. It's like, OK, now aspire to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something to try to live up to. But um, yeah. And as time went on, um, it just became clear that, you know, all those things that we needed, there, there were a lot of things that, you know, he was a sharp contrast to George Bush, uh, certainly in the way he could speak full sentences. Yeah, but to me, that's aesthetic. And it, it, it's not as, it's not as, like, I was, Obama was ultimately a disappointment to me because of the similarities in, especially how, um, you know, we can, our foreign policy posture was, um, I was very bothered by being told that we weren't going to, um, prosecute anyone in the Bush administration for lying us into war. I feel like that is what allowed a precedent to be set, like just said like, okay, it's okay if you lie like that, that allows Trump well, to be I'm not sure as, he was the first one. <laughs> no, he wasn't, but he was, it was one of the most like clear, you, you know, we went to war because you created a campaign of falsehoods and that war has, you know, it was one of the things that made Obama more, you know, it, it, uh, it, it was a big leg up for him, the fact that he had not ever voted for the Iraq war. Now, right. granted, he wasn't in there, but he was able to run a, basically on saying the Iraq war was a mistake. And that was ultimately what I think, you know, that dog Hillary, all, you know, all, all the way into like 2016. But so Obama, all after the course of it, but what has come up for me more with um, being disappointed in Obama and something Bernie brings up is like Obama, when he won – he dismantled his grassroots organization and and he didn't there was no call to action of his supporters in the movement that that wanted the change and the ho- and had the hope and just said okay y'all go home i got this and then when he didn't have it uh, whatever it was you know we were just told well i tried really hard and i'm really smart sorry and i don't and and Bernie's like always hammering how he's like you know he's a movement politician he's he'll be an activist president he'll show up at like picket lines he will be like using the, his mailing list in the he organization said, he said he'll be the organizer in chief exactly exactly and that's I think a big reason for me why Elizabeth Warren is less appealing is because I see I see her more tacking towards that doctrine of change or you know than than really embracing movement politics yes she has a lot of plans and uh that's all we need Which plans and smart people thing. yes yes and the west wing version <laughs> yeah that and and too like there's because i think that that appeals to people who think that what we need to is elect a competent president so we can all get back to get back to brunch 
Well, yeah. Haven't you seen those signs? Exactly. Yeah. That's actually been a, a protest sign held up by some people at what it was just anti-Trump. Uh-huh. Like, like that's what we need, a return to normalcy. Yeah, it, it's like, no, returning to the status quo is still, it's not okay. That's what led to Trump. So uh, we were talking about oh, um, like Obama and- Oh, and, what, what and my then, dissatisfactions were that led to my understanding that we needed change. Um, yeah, well- Clearly, you know, I, I entered college at that point, and I was kind of hoping that I could just ride out the recession. And by the time I got out the other end of college, I, it, things would be in a better place, and they weren't. And, uh, you know, I had really sacrificed to put myself through college. Um, I didn't have any kind of family support. I was living in New York City, which is so expensive, and I could only work part-time, and and just those part-time hourly wages are absurd. Mm -hmm. Um, It was such an incredible hardship. And then I get out the other end, of course, with, you know, tons of debt and, you know, without a good job, making maybe just the same as I was making before, um, I found a job that it wasn't even full time. And it was just like, I felt betrayed. This was just a promise that I had heard since I was a child, like, you know, not necessarily from my own family. I went to a private Jewish day school. We had a split day between Judaic studies and secular studies. And so I had teachers who, you know, weren't Jewish, who were, you know, really Mm. into the whole, you know, higher education system and had said, you know, they had expectations that we would go to college. Um, I was just never really able to kind of envision my future um, one way or the other. Um, What field were you studying? Okay, um, I got my degree in psychology. Okay. Um, I had started out thinking I might get a degree in sociology, but it just wasn't a really big department. Um, I went to Brooklyn College, mm-hmm. uh, where Bernie went. <laughs> he went there for a year. Um, and so I, you know, get out the other end uh, with debt, without a good job, and just a lot of angst and disappointment in Obama. Um. Yeah, he really just seemed bogged down and kind of moving backwards, you know, as far as progress went. And I could see that there was a tremendous Republican opposition. And at the same time, I just couldn't help but feeling like there was more he could have done mm-hmm. and should have done. And just certain things that he said and did were just really underwhelming. So in 2016, um, when Bernie... You, you discovered him. How involved in the campaign did you become? I, I discovered or, him in 2015. Or 2015. But, but uh, I got involved in 2016. Um, I was getting his emails and um, he was asking for $3. And all of a sudden I realized, hey, I can actually make a political da- donation because I can afford $3. You know, I would have thought that, you know, maybe most people would have asked for more. But Bernie knows his supporters are pretty poor and Three bucks felt reasonable, and I was like, I can give you a few more than that. So I made my very first political donation in 2016, and then um, soon after, there was a a barnstorm happening locally, and I went. And uh, they were trying to get people to sign up to host uh, phone banks. I signed up, and that was, you know, off to the races. <laughs> So I was like getting personally involved, you know, and I 
ended up doing a little bit of canvassing right before the New York primary. Mm. Um, I went to the um, Harlem campaign office, you know, for the night of the New York primary debate watch party. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I got very emotionally invested uh, because I, because partly because of Trump, uh, cause I saw what we were up against and I'm not sure that I remember super accurately now, but like at what point I realized it was going to be, Trump was going to be the Republican nominee. And this was a change election clearly on both sides of the party, you ha of, of the both parties, I should say, mm -hmm. um, you had change, really dramatic change candidates rising up and if you had an establishment candidate trying to beat back change, you know, and there's only one change candidate on the other side, that's the person who's going to win. That's the person who's got the energy. And it was just plain as day. And I was screaming from the rooftops, it felt like, you know. Um, but, you know, people were just so sure that she was going to win. Uh, you really couldn't say anything else to them. And it was like watching a train wreck in slow-mo. It was so agonizing. And uh, I just felt like I was having this protracted breakdown. But And, and you know, I guess a lot of people were. Mm -hmm. um, I went to... I went to the People's Summit in 2016. Um, and then I went to Philadelphia to protest for that week outside of uh, the DNC. So you weren't there as a, well, Bernie didn't have any New York delegates, but. Um, no, or he did. He, he, he did. did. Yeah, no, he did. Um, that's true. Uh, but you were, you were there as to be witness and to throw your, uh, your voice against whatever, you know, I don't know what. We're crazy if we call it rigged, but it, it's, <laughs> it's so frustrating because, well, I got really frustrated from, you know, I, did you know anyone that couldn't vote? Um, personally, I'm, I don't think so. When you saw, but you saw, heard Of course, of course yeah. I was following that. Yeah. And I, I, I saw that happen and then I spent like several weeks like attending public hearings going, you know, going over things with like a little small ad hoc team of people just trying to uncover what happened. And it was so clear that like so many you know, New York, they were doing it. The party was doing everything they could to make sure they delivered it, you know, for Hillary. And it was a, it was a pivotal point in the campaign, but people paying close attention to this, you saw things happen in Arizona. Oh and my God. Yeah. Where they just closed, you know, all like reduced the polling places by, I forget what ridiculous number. Um, and all these forms of, it was our first election without the voting rights act in yes. place because it was during Obama's term. I think the Supreme court st struck down part of it and said, well, clearly we don't need this anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, that was a little premature. Uh, it's probably always premature, you know, and it just specifies that in states that had a history of civil rights abuses around voting rights that they had to you know, receive, you know, permission if mm -hmm. they're before they made any kind of changes, because and as soon as that was struck down, they made very, very specific types of changes, you know. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. And, and New York, they did things like they sent out mailers that said the primary date was this date that were wrong. Oh, I didn't even and hear then, that. Yeah, they had then they sent out a correction a couple of weeks later. And then 
There was all these purges that happened. They yep. moved polling places. Poll workers were talking about the, like they went and testified about what they witnessed um, being uh, poll watchers and seeing how the ballots were being counted. Mm-hmm. They rushed through certification. And it was what was frustrating was like the first public hearing, which was packed with angry New Yorkers and, and people trying to hold it together and tell their stories and being told like, all right, you did it next. And they were just like the 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 Board of Edu- uh, Elections was just like, all right, you said your thing. All right, next. And they just were rolling their eyes and not caring in the indifference. And it was just so maddening watching these people. It's like, this is your job. It was to make sure that this went smoothly. And for you to sit here and condescend to us. And because they were basically like, look, I, I know a lot of new people are excited about the process and you're here, but look, this is how it's always gone. And it, I'm sorry you're not used to that yet. You'll get used to it. Just take it. That was this the attitude that just came off of everyone managing, you know, this this quintessential part of <laughs> what we say we're proud of as a society. And and for them it's it was just frustrating for them to just be like, well, this is standard incompetence and accept Oh yeah, it. yeah, standard incompetence as if that's like a satisfactory answer. As if too, that's not uh you know, if there are like places where things can screw up that are advantageous to you, yeah, I'm going to say, like, there's plenty of opportunities for fraud. If, if you can just be like, oh, we uh, we deleted the wrong names. Yeah, Kathy. She, they, like, fired some Republican clerk. That's who they scapegoated in yeah, New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, well, we can do bad all by ourselves. Uh, Russia is not needed here. <laughs> exactly, which is, you know... And it, so if it's always incompetence, then I get to give you shit. Yeah. And and if it's – but I hate, I don't like the fact that there's always this incompetence happening that always benefits Hillary Clinton. Yeah. It goes one way and it's just there's this expectation, the baseline of, you know, complete incompetence as if we can't expect better or do better. Like you're supposed to fire people who can't do their job. And this is just like one of the, the most important jobs in a so-called democracy. Yeah. Yeah, it's I, I I was I think I, something set me off like a crazy person talking about like you know the I think it was uh, it was before Nevada was coming up and and it was just like it's so frustrating that you know so much smoke gets blown up our ass about how much how important democracy is and how great a country are because we have it but then we don't get things like the day off to vote <sighs> we don't get um, uh, secure voting. Uh, mechanisms and processes and there's no reason for that especially it really pisses me off that with voting machines that it's even the process of it is set up to be like well we need to put out uh, a request for bids and get the lowest bid of a contract no you should spend however much money is required to make the best most secure most transparent and trustworthy system i mean i don't need to save money on my voting machines it's obviously a matter of national security i mean now more than ever right yes <laughs> yeah so you just said that if we were really a democracy we would have like you know the the paid day off or and, and good election security how about like a $15 minimum wage and, you know, health care for everybody and all of those things that the the will of the majority of the people um, has just been suppressed. Well, now you're talking about democratizing the economy. Uh, not just that, but no, actual democracy in which the will of the majority gets enacted. Yes. 
Yeah, and 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 people will say, well, we're not a direct democracy; we're a republic, and we we, we are elect a democratic people. republic. Yeah, a democratic yes. republic. Um, so they'll say no, no to that, and yeah, I'm like, oh. Well, if we were that, we would still have these policies because we would be able to elect people who actually represent us. And with the amount of money going through our political system, we don't have that option. You know, people running a grassroots uh, type of campaign have not had the ability to compete. Uh, previously, we're we're really building that kind of grassroots power now. Um, that's part of you know the the revolution that happened in 2016. In some ways. Bernie won, you know, uh, completely changed the whole national consciousness and, and conversation. And uh, we're doing really great in the primary so far, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I said, and now, you know, we, there's been so I've I've felt very, um, I was kind of a wait and see with Bernie this time around, because I just didn't know where people were going to land. And I was kind of, I was reluctant to throw my weight behind like, yeah, I'm all in for Bernie immediately. Um, part of that was the chilling effect of um, it wasn't that I wasn't I wasn't questioning whether or not I still liked Bernie. It was more there was a chilling effect, the whole Bernie bro narrative and me being a white guy who does get animated and ranty about politics. I was like, I don't know if I'm helping Bernie if I start just, you know, I'm all in for Bernie and let me tell you all about it as, you know, a white cis man with, you know, a good job and, and so I, I, so I had this posture of like, I want to see, you know, who, who kind of picks up the, his call this time mm -hmm. and, and not be so visible about it. You know, I was still donating to him early and, you know, liking things and, and sharing them, but I was reluctant to be a very vocal part of Bernie and it's been it's been really cool to see now now I don't have that as much because there's all this you know he's been winning and the polls and he you know his base of support is not just a, a clear it's empirically not just a bunch of white men because um, he in 2016 he they were able to be like well he didn't win a majority of like African Americans and in a lot of contests and they said he had a problem with that and that's clearly not not the, the case. case anymore I think uh, just in the last few days, the polls finally tipped over to uh, mm -hmm. Bernie being the majority favored candidate for African-Americans. And in Nevada, I think he won about 70 percent of the Latino vote, mm -hmm. uh, winning in every category, actually. Yeah. Including it, moderates. He in won. There's a big, robust set of polls. And I think the only thing he didn't come in was like old white boomers. So um, that, well, they'll catch up. <laughs> Um, but and, and all, yeah, and at this point, I almost feel from seeing how enthusiastic his support is from people of color and marginalized communities, people with a lot more on the line than me are really for Bernie. And I, it feels like I, I'm following their lead at this point. And, mm -hmm. and I don't, I, I, and people who are trying to like say, like, He's not a good idea, and no, we need Pete or Warren. I'm like, all right, but I'm I'm sorry, I'm with I'm with the people more than I'm like with Bernie. Yes, because the movement, I, not I, the man. Bernie isn't even about Bernie. Bernie's just about us, you know. And if it weren't for us, and if we didn't want him to run, he wouldn't run. You know, he's 
got like the the least ego. <laughs> I mean, of course, you know, other people are going to have different ideas about him, but um, he's all about the movement. And well, you don't see if you watch enough of his rallies, and I will say this is a contrast between him and a lot of candidates. Um, you don't see him like talk about himself. He doesn't tell like, let me tell you my story and how, and he, give you this feeling of like. I, how this is why I'm a fighter or why I am the type of person I am where you're sitting there like, oh, I feel I love his story and I, I attach to that. He just talks about what's wrong. Mm-hmm. All about the issues. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you know, he, certainly in 2016, he really did not talk about himself. He would just really pivot right back to the issues. And his campaign said, you know, we want to make it a little bit more personal. We want you to tell us more about your background. So he started to do that. He started to talk about uh, how he grew up in Brooklyn and he was, uh, he has relatives who mm-hmm. um, did not survive the Holocaust uh, and what an impact that had on his life and in his pursuit of ju- uh, social justice and um, also, you know, being raised in a family that lived paycheck to paycheck and uh, did not get to uh, live out their dreams and, and was very under a lot of stress economically. Um, but in some, in many ways, still we're living in a time when there was maybe more support for like the middle class coming from the government Yeah, in the wake of like a robust, the, you know, the New Deal was not that hadn't been chipped away at as quite as so much as it has now. Yes. Um, to where I, I really think like what Bernie to me and is just the platform is about a demand that our government prioritize. Um, and this gets to, there's the misunderstanding that frustrates people who are maybe a bit more into theory of things and, and how things are classified that socialism is not just like when the government does shit. Because people will be like, oh, you know, the roads are socialist and this is, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's about what they prioritize, you know, it, it, to a degree. And I know there's a lot more specifics to how people classify socialism, but what makes it different is that, like, it's a government that prioritizes compassion and justice. And human well-being. And, hu- and dignity, yes. And, Over and, the GDP. And that, and, and that the economy is something that should be, you know – for the people, not for just for making money for his, the most shrewd, you know, unscrupulous people. Not the other way around that the people serve the needs of the economy. Exactly. Exactly. And um, yeah, it's, I, I certainly Bernie like raised so many more class conscious issues that I had. I feel like during the Obama years and Bush, I was disturbed by what our foreign policy was doing, and I could get the general sense of unfairness of things. But Bernie really crystallized, like, yeah, oh, that, yes, that is what's wrong. It's the wealth inequality, which was a conversation that was started by Occupy. They Mm -hmm. put into the national conversation the shorthand of the 1%. Yeah. You couldn't just say that on TV and have people, what the hell are you talking about? Well, actually, part of my political education was watching Michael Moore's documentary, Capitalism, A Love Story. And just that that story that he told about the uh, window and doors company. Did you ever watch the documentary? It's been a while. Uh, Refresh my memory, that story. Uh, So they were going to be shut down, of course, with, you know, uh, unpaid wages and, you know, no severance. And, uh, you know, the owners of the company are going to walk away with, you know, pocket the rest. 
And the workers had nothing to lose. And so they conducted a sit-in. Um, and I don't recall how long it went on, but uh, they won. They won the right to uh, take over the company and reopen. I remember this now. Yeah. And that is something that really, you know, connected to me. And, and I was like, we should be doing this everywhere. And, and, and stories about people who, you know, were being evicted from their homes. And these homes are going to sit vacant for God knows how long. Drive down the property prices in the whole neighborhood. And you're going to have homeless people while this house sits vacant. So you had people, again, who just, you know, refused to leave. And then community people came to support them. And uh, the police ended up just letting them be. Um, and so there were so many moments, uh, things that I saw over time that I was like, this is how things should be. And I never put it together uh, for a very long time that I myself was a socialist. Uh, interesting story. I have a lot of stories. But uh, so after we got the results of the November 2016 election, uh, and I was just really terrified for a lot of reasons, um, like Bernie, I have family that did not survive the Holocaust. And that learning about the Holocaust was uh, one of the formative experiences in my life. Uh, maybe I was like 10, 11 when I first learned about it. And uh, it really drove me to be curious about human nature and how such a thing could happen. And um, it just, when I was younger, it just seemed like, you know, how could that have happened? And maybe that was like, it seemed like a different world where that happened. And when I got older, I was like, no, it was this world where that happened. And those types of things in, in maybe much smaller uh, cases happen all the time and are just ongoing, mm -hmm. uh, the kinds of cruelties people are able to do to each other. Um, and so um, just having an understanding of where the country was, you know, economically, politically, you know, my I, I grew up in a very uh, conservative household, and um, wound, I, I was always kind of more on the liberal s side of things um, before I became a little bit more, you know, so-called radical uh, from the perspective of other people. And uh, so I, I supported Bernie. My family was supporting Trump. My friends, a lot, half of them anyway, were supporting Clinton. And I just had like this bird's eye view of the whole political spectrum. And it was just fascinating and terrifying because I could just see what was happening. And both sides just had no understanding of the other. Uh, so once the election happened and given, you know, my own um, – you know, historical trauma, I was terrified, literally. And um, I actually flew out of the country the day before the inauguration with a one-way ticket. Wow. <laughs> I, I, You know, if you weren't tethered to anything, like, you know, I had a family and, you know, I, I was just like, I, I'm here to ride this out, boys. You're growing up in Trump's America. Yeah, I was just like, oh, my God, I know there's like so much, you know, gunpower and, and it's all like, you know, all those survivalists and and all those, uh, you know, anti-Obama militia people who got such a um, who, who really got going during the Obama administration and, and they won. 
now. How emboldened would they be? Exactly, by, yeah. exactly. And it was terrifying because I knew that the talk on the conservative side of things was always about civil war and just how afraid they were of um, the diversity of the demographic changes in America. And now that they think that they have the upper hand, uh, you know, what's going to happen now? Um, and that was really terrifying. Um, so I left the country, you know, with one way ticket as you do. <laughs> um, and I had always wanted to visit Costa Rica. It was just on my radar for like 10 years. And, uh, so I went there and, uh, was kind of scouting it out as like my potential, uh, your expatriate, yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of Americans go there, actually. A very tourist, tourist-friendly country, and um, I just got to kind of escape the reality for a little longer. I needed that. I was so stressed, and uh, I obviously had the chance to think about just finding work there and staying there, and it just. I just felt like maybe I needed to come back and see what could be accomplished here because, you know, the country was not yet, you know, in flames. Mm -hmm. So I, I just felt like I had to come back. We are, and, hey, we had a hashtag up and running pretty quick, too. What? Res, you know, resist. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, so that was, Hashtag resist. It was, it was there. Some people knew that there was people tweeting about resisting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I came back and, uh, well, actually, the first real hopeful moment in the Trump administration, at least that I saw that maybe like, okay, maybe or at least we'll get through. It was like when the spontaneous protests, the Muslim ban yeah, at the, the airport. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh my God. I was just listening to this on, uh, YouTube very far away. Not, not that far away, but, uh, far away in like these beautiful scenic mountains and it just, I don't know, it was unreal. It was surreal. <laughs> so I came back and part of what I had in mind in coming back was that I had heard about an organization that was just getting started that was uh, founded by some former Bernie staffers that wanted to create a new political party and draft Bernie to, uh, to lead it. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't feel like I could have really come back or maybe just, you know, moved on without having something to hold on to like that. Um, and it didn't end up being um, something that I could really support. Um, you know, they were trying to create a new party and wound up uh, with some of the same problems I think that they were trying to um, solve, you mm -hmm. know, uh, just not transparent, not democratic. Um, they said all the right things and they just didn't do them the right way. Yeah. Um, and there was just like, I don't know. I understand there being. Well, I don't, I don't know that I, I agree with the premise of we're going to start a party with the office of the presidency. It's one of the things like with the Greens, I, I would like the Greens to maybe stop fielding a presidential candidate for a bit 
and focus on like getting more green party mayors and you know in congress and yes, and building yes. building the the foundation that you would need for a party before you don't start from the exactly, you know if you if you're yeah. if you're a populist party and you're focused on you know grassroots issues and 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 going that route then i think you should you should probably start at smaller offices true but this was just an unusual circumstance where you know you had unique such a bernie. good candidate yeah. yes it was unique to bernie and it you had a and really good candidate that. where you just didn't trust that the democratic party would ever allow him to run and win it's still yet to be seen this time uh they certainly wouldn't have they they managed to uh uh, cheat him out of some of his win, you know. Uh, I'm not saying he would have won the primary. Um, he would have won the primary. <laughs> I am saying that. Uh, <laughs> well, I know, I know. Like there, I get. I'm really frustrated looking closer, thinking deep, more deeply about like the delegate system, and just like in Iowa, you know, you could have a county where there's 200 people that live there, and you know, however many caucus. And it's worth four delegates. And then next door you have like a college town with 10,000 people. And but they're also four delegates. Mm -hmm. And so it's not proportional representation the same way that like, you know, it's it's a mini electoral college going on in a lot of these places with how they're allocating delegates based on um, the population. Yeah. Well, they're not. They're not allocating based on the population, which yeah. is what the problem is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's de it's death by a thousand cuts, but um, that and, and this is all just it's it's fun to talk with someone and feel not crazy or you know or just you know share that frustration. But um, ultimately, I think the the answer to overcoming that or what we have to do is flood the zone because with any of these things the way that they can the only way that like um i believe that any kind of election fraud can be effective is when it's on the margins yes when they're close yes so when bernie has like a blowout like he did in nevada there's nothing that can be done they can try and goose somebody up a little bit down further if they you know if someone can play with numbers or you know how they're reporting things um, um, they can also close, you know, polling places at the last moment. Yeah, where they can just in very targeted areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's all kinds of stuff they can do. There, and then hopefully, like you know, 2016 at least illuminated a lot of the vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. and the campaign will be more ready for them. I think, you know, it's not unreasonable for people in 2016 to have been like. We're giving this an honest try. We're running in the Democratic primary because we're a two-party system. That's the vehicle for it. So we're doing it and we're going to get an honest shot. And then seeing all these stops pulled out. It, I mean, if you're going into it with good faith, you're going to get blindsided. Yeah. And I, I, I got to think a lot of people have a bit more, you know, healthy cynicism about them. Um, I would hope that are managing the campaign or just like, you know, we should have eyes on all these things this time and be ready to they need to shape that narrative more, too, because I think maybe that was that was a frustrating thing with, you know, it, it these things would happen. And Bernie was in that Evan, any candidates in a bad position where it's like they can't call foul because they get told they're a sore loser by the uh -huh. press. Yeah, that's a really difficult situation to be in. Yeah. Gore. I mean. 
Gore right there. He could have really put up a fight to mm-hmm. say Florida was mine. He should have, honestly. Yeah. They thought, oh, everyone will think I'm a wiener. <laughs> I don't know. Just the opposite. You know, when you give up too easily. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's only the Republicans who, like, you know, fight to the death. Yeah, they'll fight dirty and pull out every trick they have to hold on to power or gain it. Unless you're talking about the Democratic establishment fighting progressives. Yes. Yeah, that, that's when they have their killer instinct. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're always ready to punch left. And, I, you know... Here's a button I'll put on this whole conversation where people are might be listening to this, and I know they exist. I don't know if they're in my audience or not. I, I don't really know my audience's political leanings and, and, and that I could speak to, but I know people exist who just completely roll their eyes at anything about the DNC having a heavy hand in the in the political system. And I really hope people understand – I want people to understand something if that's how they think, which is that if Bernie wins the presidency, yes, he gets to appoint Supreme Court judges and lots of federal judges. But it would be a radical power shift for the Democratic Party for him to be setting its priorities and and to stopping a lot of the insider bullshit. That's what they're afraid of. That is. And so, you you know, you can't just tell me that, like, these people don't have a motive to pull shady shit. And mm-hmm. they have the opportunity to pull shady shit. Yeah. And they have the means to pull shady shit. So don't just tell me that, like, it's conspiratorial to think. At a certain point, you're a coincidence theorist. Mm-hmm. If, if the brakes always go against Bernie. And because right now, I don't know if they have a favored candidate that any any state would be pushing, you know, you know, closing districts that don't, that are good, whatever. However, they can have a heavy hand on things. Uh, but I know that it's like it's they seem to always never they're never in Bernie's favor. And no. that's the number one indicator for me. It's like that sets off. I think uh, last time around in Iowa, every single coin flip went against Bernie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, what are the chances of that? <laughs> we know. And, and maybe, you know, and if someone wants to come at Bernie with like as that's an attack on him, be like, look, Bernie's unlucky. <laughs> We can't afford to have an unlucky president. He lost every coin toss in Iowa. We can't have that, all right? I haven't heard that line of attack. <laughs> so coming in now, let's let's talk 2020. We're yes. done. We're done with the past. Yes. We're in 2020. Um, you are uh, – I met you at uh, actually like, uh, the delegate process for getting elected as a delegate. Do you want to talk about um, what – made you want to go into that process and what you learned about it and, and what it is and what it what is a delegate do? A delegate uh, is someone who goes to the convention and gets to vote for that particular candidate on behalf of the people in their district. And um, I wasn't really aware of the whole process in 2016. I just had some idea that, you know, however a certain district voted, um, that's how it it would just be kind of like a direct vote. I I just really wasn't familiar with the process back then. So all of a sudden, uh, I hear about, you know, all these people who are delegates, and I'm like, well, how do I get in that process? (laughs) And it was too late at that point. So, uh, you know, I just definitely had it in mind that, you know, if I had the opportunity, it would be my dream. And uh, so, 
you know, I, I even now, even this time around, I wasn't clear what the whole process would look like. Um, I just heard just a, a few days before, uh, I thought we were going to have to go and give speeches. Um, and then, then I was told, you know, depending on the number of people running in your particular district, there's not going to be time for speeches, which was a bit of a relief. That, that, was, that was the case. They were like, if there's more than X, then more we're not than doing... 20, yeah, 20. maybe. Um, but we had uh, about 35 people running. Yeah. And then, you know, when it came that night, uh, I think a whole bunch of them didn't show up and, and they were like, you know, they counted the number of people who were present and it was like 21. Mm -hmm. So if there was like one less or something, we'd all have to get up and give speeches. But as it was, um, I was told you need to just print up some flyers and um, a little bit about yourself and then go and shake hands and try to get people to vote for you. And I was just like, wow, I've never done anything so politician-y in my life. You know, I don't really anticipate, mm -hmm. you know, I might have to eat my words one day, but I really still don't anticipate ever running for public office. But this was like, you know, mini public office. Mm -hmm. it, it was very cool um, experience. And uh, I was very honored to win, win a spot. Um, I was the ninth delegate, ninth and final delegate, uh, which means that my district would have to win really overwhelmingly for Bernie in order for, because it's proportional to however, whatever percentage of Bernie, the Bernie win in my district, in District 11, um, that's how many delegates are going to go to the convention. So if he wins the overwhelming uh, majority, I have a chance to go. So that's good that you signed up to be a delegate. That's really a motivator for you to just deliver the district. Yes, yes. It's our jobs to uh, get voter turnout for Bernie and you know put in the work. Um, I was already planning on hosting a weekly event when uh, they actually, the campaign came out with a program called the Bernie Victory Captain uh, Program, where they want people to commit to host weekly events. And I said, well, I was planning on doing that already, but uh, they provide a lot of training, uh, which is so helpful. Mm -hmm. And they provide um, a coach as well, um, all kinds of you know directions, materials, uh, support. And it's been a great program. And um, I think that what they're doing is building an infrastructure that can carry on after the election, can uh, be the movement and the organizers uh, all put together already for you know what we need to do once Bernie is in office and not disband and uh, train people and get them into uh, the system and you know hopefully – you know, a, a bunch of us decide to run for public office as well and work yeah. our way up, you know, as Bernie always says, from the dog cat catcher on up. <laughs> I, I mean, it was going canvassing made me see that, like, this is really just something that's good. It's well, it's good for you if you're in tied up in knots about how things are. Um, and it's good for whoever answers their door a lot of times to just show up. And and be civically engaged with one another, mm -hmm. and and the process of just asking a voter like what what's your most important issue and listening and and a lot of times I always hear that that like that's what ends up delivering this neighborhood or that is people saying you know no one's come and knocked on my door and asked me what matters to me and so 
Bernie people showed up and knocked on my door. That's why I went and voted for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, if for anyone who's feeling kind of anxious or, um, you know, yeah. angsty about the political situation, to go and get involved is what can really alleviate that and just make you feel like you're being part of the solution. And, uh, you know, like you said, having conversations with other people um, is where it's at. You know, you can really get your finger on the pulse of your community and, you know, you know how, how, how other people are feeling about what's going on in the country and, you know, get together and talk and, you know, um, just get personally involved in changing things. And that's where it has to start. So where are we at here in, in Ohio? We're canvassing, we're knocking on doors, and then Ohio, we have the primary. Um, March you, 17th. March 17th. Um, what is your focus going to be? So every Saturday, you're doing honking waves, and but I will I'll definitely be coming down. I want to bring the boys to that. They're perfect for that. I'll have oh, them. good. I was like, I'm going to dress them up like Bernie or something oh, ridiculous, God. and then they'll, they'll so just love cute. getting to it's, be hams. I love having kids there. <laughs> and then uh, yes, the so, cuteness factor. <laughs> oh yeah, I will exploit my children yes. for the for the movement. <laughs> I'm not above that. Um. And then, yeah, Sunday, uh, there's canvassing I've been trying to hit. Having these conversations uh, with your neighbors, you get to talk about values and and find out, like, people, you know, beyond whatever types of um, differences that the media loves to hype up, we have a lot of values in common. And when you look at uh, – even, even when it com- comes to policy, progressive policy has the overwhelming support – when you talk about like the actual policy, instead of putting labels on it, you're talking about policies that help everybody exactly. and it has overwhelming support and you just have to keep talking about policy. Mm-hmm. I worked in healthcare for uh, maybe 10 years already. Uh, so I, I see a lot of these problems because I, I worked in like different positions, a lot of uh, administrative and also now I'm a medical assistant in ophthalmology. First, I started out in cardiology, and uh, and at one point I was doing you know just pure administrative stuff in a um, primary practice, and dealing a lot, a lot with insurances, and just telling people like we don't take your insurance, you need to go find a different doctor, and you know this is how much you have to pay, and uh, dealing with prescriptions and. You know, I, if you would have told me that my job would be eliminated with Medicare for all, I would have jumped for joy because it's just the most miserable, like, you know, one of those like bullshit jobs that don't need to exist. Were you um, keeping that job so you could have health insurance? Oh, my God. The job didn't even provide me health insurance. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> I was working more than full time and the job did not provide me health insurance. Wow. Because uh, there were not enough employees to legally mandate providing health insurance. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was like just the irony is just so thick. <laughs> uh, so and, and it, it just there were no um, no benefits, no job protections in that particular job. And my boss would just uh, close up unexpectedly for a week and not pay us. Uh, the second time he did that, I said, I'm not going to be here when you get back. (laughs) 
And that's part of the story of how I left New York after 13 years. Um, I had quit that job. I did not find another job in New York. I found one that took me for six months to Connecticut. And when that ended, um, it I did not want to go back to New York um, more than anything. And I had family in Cleveland, Ohio, and that's how I wound up here. What is what is your canvassing technique like when you have to talk to someone and you say like this is the one thing that matters to me most about Bernie? What what is that? Is it healthcare from having that firsthand experience? Healthcare is uh, huge. Obviously, it's huge. Not just uh, as a matter of you know, you never know when something's going to happen to you. And I kind of found that out the hard way uh, just a few months ago because I thought I was going to save money by not having health care. Uh, and, and, and part of the problem, there's so many problems. But, you know, even once you're paying all that money, you're paying for a premium. And then there's a deductible and co-pays. And you can't afford to actually use the health insurance. So I thank God or Thank goodness. Uh, you know, so far in my 35 years, I've been fairly healthy. Um, and I just was kind of relying on that and then uh, wound up having to go to the hospital without health insurance in December. I was there for a week. And uh, I needed to have surgery, which I decided to delay until I was able to get Obamacare. Um but then that was just after the beginning of the new year, and I had a brand new deductible. So this whole Ugh. thing is a freaking nightmare. Um, still trying to figure out how I'm going to deal with all of this medical debt. Um, I, I might have some help with it, but there's just going to be, you know, that's going to hang over my head in addition to uh, my student loans and the fact that without those two things, even without those two things, um, I just, I'm moving backwards every day economically. Couldn't live on what I earn and uh, couldn't couldn't survive without credit, uh, which, you know, I don't know how I'm going to ever dig myself out of that. And, and I'm speaking as a 35-year-old college graduate with a full-time job with benefits and a skilled job. This is not okay. And this is my frustration. You have an entire generation of people in my situation, and a lot of them in worse situations, and they are not able to move forward with life. They're not able to get married or have kids or buy a house or do any of those, you know, milestones of, you know, a life that their parents and grandparents and that every generation has been able to do because we are somebody's cash cow. We, somebody, you know, I was saying this when I was uh, in the hospital or and getting my medical bills, and somebody has um, golden faucets in their bathroom because of me mm -hmm. and you and every other person who's getting just squeezed to the max. Yeah, some CEO got a, a multi-million dollar bonus. Yep. For the whatever profits were alloc you know derived from people's pain and suffering it's it's absolutely immoral and and, and and disgusting and it's 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 been it's almost orwellian 
the fact that it's gone on as long as it has. And, and, and that's what someone like Bernie, who's just like, this is wrong. Uh, 50% of Americans can't handle a $400 emergency. No. Yeah. Uh, without borrowing money. Uh, and you know, it's not even just that it's immoral at a certain point. It's, it's not sustainable. And, this type of inequality, when it reaches a certain point, it breaks societies. Uh, you just have to look at um, the French Revolution is, is a great example. And um, you've got social scientists who are studying inequality who say that the level of inequality we have here in America is, I think, the highest in the world. And it's reaching that point where you know, something is going to break for one in one direction or the other. Uh, you're going to either get fascism because people are just so frustrated and angry that they can't live. They literally are dying because of, you know, lack of health care, um, you know, lack of housing, lack of basic necessities of life. And, you know, when you have people who are that hungry and angry um, you're either going to get a nightmare scenario of fascism, you know, where you have somebody who can cut through all of the, the, the stagnant and the stalemate that's, that's just locked the system into this, um, dysfunction for so long. Mm -hmm. You want someone who's going to say, I'm going to get this done, even if I have to break all the rules to do it. Uh, and that's, that's who you get on one hand. And, the other possibility is um, a true left revolution where that says we need to fight back against all of this inequality with programs that help working people and that prevent people from falling through the cracks. Uh, and that's what Bernie's all about. Um, his understanding of the history of World War II and Germany and what enabled Hitler's rise was that same economic frustration. Um, you had people who, you know, average Germans who all they wanted was to to be able to feed their families. And if some, you know, marginalized group of people that they didn't know or care about um, had to be the scapegoat, um, as long as they had food in their bellies, um, they were going to, you know, worship you and yeah. follow you and support you. And Bernie gave, uh, in I think it was June of 2019, he gave a speech laying out this kind of history uh, in great detail. And, and we are, and, and talking about how we are at this kind of turning point in history where we have to make this choice. And I thought it was, it was another part of this process, obviously, in 2016. And I thought, you know, we had gone the other way. In some ways, obviously, we did, but I just thought maybe we don't have another chance, and that's what terrified me. Um, obviously, right now, I see that we do have another chance, and we have to take it. Yeah. We absolutely must take it. I don't believe there's any other candidate. The metaphor I hear most often that, yeah, it's, it, it's the last off-ramp. Yes. To complete, to, to complete social breakdown – you know, because what Bernie's whole, you know, his message, not me, us, it's about solidarity. Like you said, reconnecting 
and, and recognizing a shared struggle of between two people who might disagree on other things, but recognize that you and I have more in common than the people who are trying to divide us at the top. Um, and they have more to benefit from, you know, me and, and the person across the street thinking that we're fighting enemies. over superficial differences. Yeah. When, when yeah. it's like, you know, everybody, just most people, it's like, you just want to have, you want to take care of your family. You want to be able to live and do the things you want and not have to struggle and, and, and for there to be fairness. And there, it's just so painfully obvious that there's no fairness in this system anymore. Um, and it, you know, it's it's so many other issues too. Like we haven't even touched on, you know, the the climate crisis, which is one thing where it's like, who knows how far we we really another are. Reason. Over another reason. That's another reason we're just so close to the edge here. We cannot afford to make the wrong choice right now. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to pull out all the stops. We need the Green New Deal, and it's the only policy that goes far enough and in doing what needs to be done to have a, a potential impact of, you know, halting. The first thing is to halt mm. the uh, expansion of uh, global warming and then to reverse it. Um, and, you know, Bernie's been endorsed by the Sunrise Movement, which was a very coveted endorsement. You know, that's the youth who, this is their future. And, you know, they believe the signs, they learn, they understand it. Um, and, they said Bernie's the one with the policies that go far enough. I think that there's no other candidate who really understands the moment we're in and understands what needs to be done and has the ability to do it. Yeah. He's the only one. And uh, so that's why I say like reality is Bernie or bust, whether or not we all decide we're going to, you know, hold our nose and vote for whoever – gets handed to us or picked for us, yeah. you know? the It's the problem I've seen from Democrats over and over again. This happened in Obama where it's like they would they would start the negotiation with their like high – like lowest asking. It's like if you started negotiating like, well, this is the the most you – I'll let you get me over uh -huh. <laughs> versus like going at it like, no, this is what I want. This is everything that I want and That's I'm going to – That's what I love about Bernie is like you don't compromise before you get to the negotiating table. You go in with your big ask mm -hmm. and, and you don't back down before you even get anything started. And Republicans never do that. They just go hard and go harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, that that's the posture I'm – definitely very excited to see in Bernie and I've been frustrated to not see in the Democrats over my lifetime. I think also that, you know, people look at the two parties and they say, well, somebody's got to compromise and it's always been us. You know, we're, we're the ones who are making nice. That's just who we are. We have this moral superiority. Uh, we don't need moral superiority. We need a win. Mm -hmm. We need a win for the people who depend, their lives depend on us to win. And we've also seen too, I mean, like there's 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 this delusion in certain corners of like liberal left thinking that like, oh, if we catch them being hypocrites or you know, uh show that they're 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 disingenuous in oh, some yeah. way that that in we will we'll just shame them out of power and it's like, no, you've gotta win, you gotta get people to vote for you. Yep. That's ultimately, you know, 
the the number one thing that makes Bernie a strong candidate is there's so much to vote for, or so many of the other candidates running, you know, to a larger degree, it's this the the motivation to vote becomes more about voting against Trump than voting for a candidate for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah. Devora, I I don't think I think we'll I'll be chatting with you again. We'll catch up on more stuff, and I'll be seeing you at more and more Bernie canvassing events. I definitely want to be hearing about if we do get you to the convention. I want to oh hear. Oh my god, that would be amazing! What, what you're and gonna what your experience there, and um, I think I know everything to plug for you. It's events.berniesanders.com. Yep. And wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, you can find a thing near you. If you're in my neighborhood, come out, canvas with me. I'll introduce you to Defora and the gang. We will have a great time and you will enjoy uh, You will enjoy your experience if you've never gone canvassing. And I'll tell you what, and the thing I tell people, damn, it feels good to have done anything for the campaign and then you get a big win like Nevada and be like, oh, I called Nevada. Yes. You feel personally invested. Yeah. What I really loved in 2016 about phone banking, like right before the primaries in a, any particular state, was you felt like you had your finger on the pulse of how that state was going to go. Uh, you call enough people and they're all like, yeah, we're voting for Bernie. You get a really good feeling, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you get those results and you're like, I knew where this was going. Yeah. That that is I, I it, that is another reason I it, it's it's good for my mental health is to just feel like I've got some really good perspective of what this is because I'm looking at it closer than these people who are ten thousand feet in the air in in you know MSNBC and analyzing things from Washington D.C. It's uh, I do appreciate having that pulse as you and oh and my tagline on Facebook is a quote from Abraham Lincoln the best way to predict the future is to create it I love that so get involved (laughs) we don't listen to polls we change polls yes oh I like that all right thank you Devorah thank you so much for coming thank you pleasure Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, like any struggling podcast, I can always use a little iTunes love with a five-star rating or swing by the Facebook page, throw a like my way, maybe a couple of comments. And if you really, really like the show, you can kick a couple of bucks my way at patreon.com slash bzdug. That's B-Z-D-U-G. Okay, that's it. End of podcast. Enjoy whatever it is you're about to do next. Thanks. Bye.